So good to have you guys here. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Jamie, and I'm the assistant pastor here. Uh, so glad that you guys are here with us, and it's very cool to kind of see a handful of kids uh, here with us as well, kind of worshiping with the whole family, a lot of fun. Uh, and so we are, as Pastor Natalie said, we're in week two of a series called Five Words That Can Change Your Life. Because I think that there's power in words. Do you agree? There's power in words, and sometimes it only takes one word to pack a whole lot of significance. Sometimes it just takes one word to really change the course of your life a little bit. Because we all want satisfaction a little bit in our lives, right? You agree? We all like a little satisfaction. We all want wisdom to make good decisions, right? Right, that's because it's all about words. This is how Proverbs 18 puts it. It says, wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. And so we hope that this, uh, this series kind of gives you hope and courage to use your words to alter the course of your life. Last week, our friend um, Nick Graham was here and he preached a great sermon on what it means to say yes. And what it means to say yes is to be obedient to what God tells you. And so whether that's following Jesus for the first time or that's making a decision to go in this route in your life or whether it's to say yes to what he's asking you to do next, that is your best yes. The best yes that you can give in your life is to give to Jesus. And so he talked all about what it means to say yes. Now we started very specifically with that word, because really the rest of the words throughout this series really revolve around your yes. Whatever your yes is to Jesus, whatever you've said yes to, everything else kind of revolves around that. And so that's why we're talking about the word no. We're going to talk about the word no this week, uh, which may seem contrary a little bit. But it's not because in a lot of ways, your yes sets you up to say the no. And so uh, let me talk about something for a moment. Because sometimes saying no is an easy thing. Like sometimes saying no is easy. So how many coffee drinkers, just raise your hand in the house. Yeah, a lot, like mo almost all of us. I mean, let's be honest. And some of us are willing to spend $1.79 on the coffee-flavored swill that they sell at Tim Hortons. Like some of us are in that ballpark, and some of us are willing to spend $2.49 of a coffee of the same size at Starbucks, and some of us, Pastor John, is willing to pay like three or four or more dollars for like an espresso from Johnny Java's. And so some of us, we're willing to pay a little bit of money for coffee, but how many of you would be willing to pay $75 for a cup of coffee. Just, we're in church, you can't lie. Raise your hand if you would be willing. Charlie, thank you for your honesty, my friend. We have one person who doesn't even have a job will, willing to pay $75 for a cup of coffee. I love it. So none of us really, I mean, seriously, we're not gonna pay $75 for a cup of coffee. Well, this past week in San Francisco, there was a coffee shop 
that was selling a very reserved and a very exclusive kind of coffee. So let's, I want to take us to Peru for a moment. Uh, there is a company that sells a very kind of reserved, uh, very rare kind of coffee called Elida Geisha 803. And what this is, is this coffee, so let's just really quick history on coffee for a moment. Uh, coffee comes from like this very cherry-like fruit, like the seed of this coffee cherry, essentially. And so there are these feline-like rodents that live in trees in Peru called civets. They're called palm civets. And these palm civets, they love coffee berries. They, they love these, these kind of cherries, this, these fruit, and so they devour all of them as much as they can. But their bodies, they can't digest the seed part. And so they don't want to waste the seeds. And so what they do is that they collect from the dung of the palm civets the coffee seed that is collected by these people and then roasted. And they only make 100 pounds a year, and it costs 803 U.S. dollars for one pound. I am not, that is not a made-up thing. And that's why they call it um, Alita Geisha 803, because it's $803 per pound. And so this coffee shop in San Francisco recently purchased 10 pounds of it, which I'm not great at math, but that's a lot of money for very little coffee. And so they decided to sell this, this very specific kind of coffee for $75 a cup. And they sold out in a day. Which is insane. Because sometimes it's easy to say no. If you're going to ask me if I want to buy that cup of coffee, I'm going to say no. And not just because I'm not rich, but that would be a pretty crappy cup of coffee. That one's for you, Brad Perry. That one's for you, brother. I mean, think about where that coffee has been. Sometimes it's easy to say no. But sometimes, and I think you could agree, sometimes it's hard to hear no. Right? Sometimes it's, it's hard to hear the word no. Um, parents, raise your, raise your hand if you're in the room because of parents. Any of you have no kids? I don't mean like numerically you don't have any kids. If you're a parent, you probably do. But um, yeah. Like, anyone have no kids? Like, like, no. You know, put your socks on, get your shoes on, and get in the car. No. Right? Stop picking your nose. No. Eat your vegetables. No. Put the knife down. No. Right? Like, some of us have, some of us have no kids. And that's hard to hear. Uh, a few of us were at a men's conference last weekend, and one of the speakers' name was Mark Clark, and he talked about how he has three girls, eight, ten, and twelve. God bless him. Let's pray for him now. And he talked about how he has no kids. And he was talking about his three girls, and that when they say no, he began to ask us the question, I wonder what it would be like to be a parent in the 1950s. Right? Like, I didn't grow up in the 50s. But I imagine that if you were to tell your parents no in the 50s, there might be uh, a little bit of a different answer, right? You catch my grift, drift, or what we get now, right? And he made the joke that, like, back then, you could just kind of do what you needed to do to make sure that they don't get the no again. But now it's, you would need to bend over and say, all right, honey, what's your love language, right? Like, 
no. Like it's hard, sometimes it's hard to hear no. And so I want to take a look at that word for a moment because I think that it has some very negative connotations to it. Like when we think about the word no, a lot of the times we think about rejection. When we hear the word no, we think about this something that's very negative, something that we can't have or can't do. There's this kind of thought of rejection, but I think that the word no is actually quite biblical. And so I want to put it up to the word yes for a moment. Because if you were here last week and you heard Pastor Nick talk about the word yes, that is the most important word. That, when we give our yes to Jesus, that can be one of the most important decisions of our life. And so when you have a predetermined yes, no can become a very biblical thing. When you have a predetermined yes, when God has called you to something, he's given you a plan or a purpose. When you've given him your yes, then no becomes a little bit easier. The no should be our default. When we have a predetermined yes, no should be our default. Because when yes is the priority, no is your boundary. Okay, when you've said yes to Jesus, no then becomes your boundary. It's like your guardrail to protect that yes. Because your yes to Jesus is the most important thing that you have in your life. And so then no becomes a boundary, a guardrail to protect everything that is in that yes. Matthew 5 says, says this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right? Well, what we say yes to, protect it with your no. And so I want to look at a few times in the Bible when we get some very clear instructions, some when and some why, you would say no to something. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 9. And the first is this. You should say no if it leads to sin. You should say no when it leads to to sin, which seems pretty obvious. I get that. Seems pretty obvious to say no to sin, but as you walk with Jesus in righteousness, and as you continue to pursue holiness and sanctification in your walk with Jesus, there is something very special about saying no to sin. This is what it says in Mark 9, verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, to sin, cut it off. Thank you, John. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. So can you imagine all of us like walking into church, like we're like walking into heaven like this. That's, that, this is where our no comes in. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two and to be thrown into hell where maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Welcome to church, y'all. So part of the process of holiness is saying no. And specifically saying no to sin when your yes has been predetermined, when your yes 
is your priority, then your no becomes your boundary. It's a guardrail to your yes. Romans 6 puts it like this. You are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so our eternal reward is eternity. It's a life, a never-ending life with Jesus. That is the reward. That is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And when we say no to sin, right, it, it keeps us looking towards that goal of eternity with Jesus. The strength of the Holy Spirit helps us to say no when it keeps us from sin. And so you say no if it leads to sin. Second is, this second no is this. Say no if it redirects God's plan for you. Say no if it redirects God's plan for you. So without discernment, anything that tries to steer me away from my callings in life, my default should be no. If what God has called me to, if something comes in my way that is trying to redirect me, my default is no. This is what happens in Mark chapter 1. Starting at verse 32. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Now, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Now this is important because he's done like a full day's work of healing and exorcisms, right? It's been a full day of work and so he needs a rest and it says that he, he isolates himself to go pray. That is Jesus realigning to the Father's will. It, he isolates himself in prayer because that's what we need to do to realign ourselves with God's plan and purpose for our life. Amen. And so he isolates himself to a place to pray. Verse 36. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. And so they find him alone, praying with the Father. They're like, look, there's like still a huge lineup of people outside the doors waiting for you to go heal them, waiting for you to, to, to be, continue to teach them. And to see great miracles. Everyone's looking for you. Why don't you go and finish your job? This is how Jesus responds in verse 28. Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach them to them too. That is why I came. So in other words, he says no. There's no. That, that's not what God wants for us right now. And so the, these guys are, are, are trying to repel or redirect God's plan at the moment. And because Jesus has realigned himself through prayer, he's like, no, that's not what God wants right now. He wants us to kind of move on, to keep going. And so he says no, because it redirects God's plan for them in the moment. So prayer and solitude for you should be your way to realign God's plan and purpose for your life. And anything that tries to redirect you from that plan or purpose, you should say no. So let me make this personal for a moment. 
God, I believe that God has called me to do four things in my life. One, to be a good husband to Catherine. Two, to be a good parent, to be a good dad to Noah and Aaron and our two foster girls for as long as we have them. Three, to be a pastor for this community until God calls me elsewhere. And four, to be a good friend of integrity. So I believe that those are the four things that God has called me to personally. And that may be different for you, and it probably is different for you. God calls us to different things. His plan and purpose for each of us is different. Those are the four things that God has called me to. Now, if some you know, attractive woman comes and asks me to do dinner, I'm going to say no, because that would redirect my God's plan for me as a husband, right? Like, why settle for the second best-looking girl in the world when I already have the first? It doesn't make any sense. So I say no when it redirects God's plan for my life as a husband. If my friends are calling me out to come play board games or whatever some evening, but it happens to be at the same time as my son's gold medal hockey game or whatever the case may be, I'm going to say no because that redirects God's plan and purpose for me to be a good father to my kids. If the church down the road offers me $20,000 more a year and they're going to pay off my mortgage to come work for them, that, that redirects God's plan for my life because he has called me to this community for the time being. And so I'm going to say no to that. Even when the grass is greener on the other side, sometimes you say no because it redirects God's plan for your life. If I have a friend who has some kind of secret sin and he asks me to trust him with it and uh, he wants me to cover up something, I'm going to say no because that redirects God's plan for me to be a friend of integrity. Whatever it is that God has called you to, if it redirects God's plan for your life, you say no because you've already given him your yes. So say no when anything redirects God's plan for your life. The third thing is this. Say no if it repels rest. Say no if something repels rest. Look, if you're exhausted, feel free to say no. <laughs> if you're tired and you're worn, up, worn out, feel free to say no. If work time is taking away from you and your family, like feel free to say no. Because rest and Sabbath it's a very biblical thing, and God doesn't want to call you to exhaustion. God doesn't want to call you to burnout. God doesn't want to call you to, to filling your life with so much stuff that you can't handle the other priorities that you've given your yes to. God doesn't call us to that. Rest and Sabbath and fasting, those are biblical things that he calls us to. So I want to direct your attention to Matthew Matthew 4, when Jesus is led to the wilderness by the Spirit, and he's tempted there. So it says, Jesus led, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and tempted, tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Well, obviously. During that time, the devil came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. No. For the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so after 40 days and 40 nights of hunger and thirst, the devil shows up and says, here, why don't you just 
turn these rocks into some ciabatta and enjoy, right? And he's like, no. No, 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 you can't. You're repelling my rest. You're repelling my fast. And so that, in those cases, you say no. Verse 5, and the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up their hands so you don't even hurt a foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And so Jesus is trying to relax. He's trying to have his Sabbath, you know, before he enters his three years of ministry. He's trying to have this time between him and God to be able to realign God's plan and purpose for his life. And here comes the devil trying to mess up his Sabbath. And he says, he takes him up. He drags him all the way to the top and says, look, just jump. Just jump in and the, and the angels will catch you and they'll attend to you and, and they'll give you rest and Sabbath. And Jesus says, no. And then verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. And so Jesus is brought to see all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil says, look, I'll just give all this to you if you just bow down and worship me. Bend the knee, and I will give it all to you. And he says, no. Why? Because that repels his rest. That repels worship. And so in, this, in, this, in these passages, Jesus is trying to fast. He's trying to rest. And he's trying to worship. And the devil shows up to try to repel that. And this needs to be the same for us. We need to guard our rest. We need to guard our Sabbath. We need to guard the things in our lives that rejuvenate us and that give us more life. So never be ashamed to say no to something that might pull you from a season of rest or an intimate season of journeying with Jesus. Never be ashamed to say no to those things because your yes is a priority and no is your boundary to help you honor your rest and your growth and your Sabbath and your worship. So those are some of the things that we say no to. Say no if it leads you to sin. Say no if it redirects God's plan for your life. And say no if it repels rest. So that's the what to say no to. And now I want to talk about the how. We live, I believe, in a culture of like accumulation. Just like more stuff. We just live in this time and in this culture where we just love gaining things. We love surrounding ourselves with more stuff, spending more. So instead of adding things to our life, why don't we fast more things? Like get rid of things in our life. That's how we repel things, is being able to fast them, the need for more and more. And some of us in this room need to fast junk food. Some of us need to fast Netflix binging. Like some of us need to fast social media. Some of us need to like e even fast one meal a week, one lunch a week. Like your Monday lunch, take it off and just fast one meal and spend that time with God to, to continue to realign your yes with him. Some of us need to 
fast video games. Some of us, it's, you know, maybe it's even reading. Find something in your life to fast, and you'll learn to say no to the things that you don't need and yes to the things that you do need, which is more of Jesus, more of realigning his plan and his purpose in your life. The next thing we need to say no to more is the things that take up our time. Like the thing, one thing I hear the most when I ask how somebody is, is I'm so tired. How are you? Man, I'm so exhausted. How are you doing? I am so, so busy right now. Okay, well, that, that says something about our culture. That says something about us. It says something about the fact that we need more rest, that we need more Sabbath. We're obviously taking up time with the important things, with things that probably aren't as important. We need to say no to things that take up our time and replace it with rest and Sabbath. We say no to sin by worship. That's the other thing. We need to fast more, we need to rest more, and we need to worship more. Because I believe that with the name of Jesus on our lips, that is what repels sin. Sin has no place being in the presence of God. Did you know worship is warfare? Like worship is warfare. The things that we sing and the things that we say, that is what sends the enemy running in fear. And I believe that when we as a church can begin to put worship on our lips, in a lot of ways we're putting warfare on our lips and we're fighting the enemy and against all the ways that he wants to tempt us and repel us from God's will, all the ways that he wants to just add more and more stuff to our lives, it all comes down with fasting and resting and worshiping. James 4 says, humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Put yourself in God's presence through the worship of a great God, and the devil will flee from you. I want to be a part of a church who arms themselves with worship on their lips so that we as a community can, you know, I always love this term of like attacking the gates of hell with water pistols. Like, that's the kind of church I want to be. And for some of us, we just, we need rest. And for some of us, we just need less stuff. Less things. Less situations to take up our time. Some of us just need to worship more. And worship better. Because that's, that's what will set us up for the win. So I want to do something and... Uh, I just kind of, when I was going over this in my office early, I just felt Holy Spirit say, like, let's just prophesy over people. Let's prophesy health and prophesy fasting and, and prophesy rest and prophesy worship over people. Because if you find yourself in a spot where you're, you're, it feels like you're just running on a treadmill and you're not going anywhere, if you're just running on the spot, if you feel like in your walk with Jesus you're not going anywhere, begin to think, okay, well, what do I need to fast? In what areas of my life do I need to rest? What areas of my life do I need to, to worship Jesus more and better? And so here's what I want you to do. I want everyone to close their eyes just for a moment. Just close your eyes. Don't, don't, don't look around. Just everybody in the room, just close your eyes, bow your head, whatever you need to do to not be distracted by anyone else around you. I believe that God is telling some people in this room that there are some things that they need to fast. And I don't mean just, just getting rid of food on you know, a few hours a day. I'm just talking about like getting rid of things that are replacing 
more important things? Where is your no to guard the yes? And so if, if you find Holy Spirit speaking to you about fasting something, maybe just poke up your, no one's looking around, everyone's eyes are closed. I want you to poke up your hand. If you feel like you, for you, you need to get rid of something. You need to fast something in order to make more room. Yes, yes, yes. And so I wanna prophesy fasting over you. In Jesus' name, we just ask for a great spirit of fasting on these people's lives. Jesus, do the greater work of serving the yes as we use no for our boundary and we fast and we get rid of things in our life. If you put your hands down, eyes, eyes still closed. And if there's someone here who needs just more time, if you need rest, if you need Sabbath, if, you're, if your schedule is so consumed with the, the no's and not enough of the yes, the per, God's plan and purpose for your life, I want you to stick your hand up. If it's for you, if it's time, if it's rest and Sabbath you need, I just want to prophesy over you, Jesus, in your powerful name, I pray that you would find time, God, make our days longer so that we can do less stuff and fill it with more of you, fill it with more of the priorities in our life. God, I just uh, prophesy uh, Sabbath for people and rest healthy relationships due to the time that we give one another. In Jesus' name, do it in those with the hands that are up. And thirdly, as our eyes are still closed. I just want to continue to pray for those who just, who need to go to battle a little bit better. I want to pray for those who need to put the name of Jesus and not be ashamed of it on their lips. I want to, I want to prophesy to the people who need to put worship in their mouths to dispel the enemy. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up and I want to pray over you. Jesus, we ask that you would help us put worship on our lips so that we can go to war with the enemy and that he will flee from us, God. When we put worship on our lips, God, the enemy flees. He's terrified of the name of Jesus. We just ask for worship, God, to pour out of our mouths, to pour out of our lives. We ask for worship to pour out of everything that is in us, Father so that we would not be confronted with the sin and the shame of this life, Father, but that in Jesus' name, worship would emanate from who we are. God, that your name would pour from our lips without shame. God, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would sing, that we would lift our hands, that we would lift our voices, that we would lift our lives to give you honor and worship and praise so that the enemy would flee. And all of God's people agree and said, Amen.